Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is an incredible actor, someone that I absolutely adore from one of my favourite TV shows of all time, Lost. Also, he's in one of the best trilogies of all time, The Lord of the Rings, and we also get to sit down and talk all about his brand new film, Edge of the World. Today's guest is the absolutely incredible actor, Dominic Monaghan. This is an amazing interview. He's so, so positive. I absolutely love it from start to finish, and we will get to it in just a moment's time. But you should know the score by now. Always on Mark and Me, I like to touch base and talk about the previous episode. If you'd listened to episode 143 only a few days ago, I was joined by the director, Farron Mohan, and we got to talk all about his film, The Darkness. Thanks so much for everyone that tuned in. I love bringing these new directors to people's attention and seeing the amazing feedback, and everyone seemed to absolutely love his interview, so thanks so much. But let's get back to today's interview. I'm joined by Dominic Monaghan, an incredible actor and a huge guest for the Mark and Me podcast. So here's me and Dominic talking film, TV, music, and absolutely everything else. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for joining me today, Dom, on the Mark and Me podcast. I'm happy to be here. What I want to do today is there'll be a lot of people tuning in and obviously want to get an idea about how you became to be the person you are today. So let's take it back right to the start. Can you remember at what age it was, maybe you sat around with your family or as a kid, that you really started to appreciate cinema? Was it a film, an actor or a genre? What was it that made you fall in love with films? Well, I think we all, as kids, watch films, right? You don't really take a huge amount of uh, mind over it. It's just something on the TV that you watch or an experience that you're having with your parents at the cinema. I remember when I was a kid, you know, videos had only just kind of started to come out. So around Christmas time, before then, if a film was on that you wanted to watch, you got to watch it once and that was it. Yeah. You record it, you know. Um, so I think that made it kind of special. And then my parents brought, bought a video recorder and my dad would bring home a kid's film from the video shop on a Friday so that I guess he could have a lie-in on a Saturday and we would have something to take care of us. And um, it was probably that time that I started to really fall in love with movies. You know, that was kind of the era of Star Wars, Dark Crystal, Goonies, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I just was completely um, amazed by how transported everything was. You know, I just felt like I was there and I would spend the rest of the day pretending to be Indiana Jones or pretending to be one of the kids from the movies, you know. Um, so I think for the longest time, or for, for a long enough time, it was just play, it was just fantasy, you know. And I think when, obviously I always played football as a kid, I loved football and, and I still, and the, one, of the, one of the only few things that seemed to be independently mine was just this crazy passion for movies and acting and actors, you know, other friends, you know, I shared interests with, but this acting thing seemed to be something that was kind of more me. And I'm, I'm slightly obsessive, you know, I obsess about things when I get into stuff, I, I really get into them. And I think I just went, I, I've never got out of that period of being obsessed with acting and actors and movies. 
I mean, some of the stuff you've mentioned on today's call is some of the best foundations around. Some of the adventure films like Goonies and stuff are the films, you know, I'm nearly 40, so they're the same films I was watching, stuff like Stand By Me, Gremlins, Goonies, all these classics that really coming-of-age films that, you know, when you're talking about it, it makes me sad because there's not films like Big anymore or Goonies where you are totally taken to another place and maybe it's just because I'm an adult and I have responsibilities, but... It sounded so good when you were talking about these memories of just being a kid watching those classics, you know? Yeah, I think we all have our own version of the classics, don't we? Because like I said, you know, Stand By Me is an amazing, amazing moment in the film for me too. And, and some of these adventures that kids go on, they think, I'd like that. I'd, I'd like to find pirate treasure. I'd like to get taken away somewhere to, you know, go yeah. on an adventure with friends to look for a dead body, those type of things. You know, nowadays, you know, I'm sure the kids have some of that romance associated with the Avengers or Iron yeah. Man or, you know, something like that. I'm very excited about the new Dune uh, film coming up. At that the looks end. amazing. That looks incredible. Villeneuve is, is amazing. And maybe that will turn into, you know, an adventure-based film for, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. Um, they are, I think films have been forever changed by the success of these massive comic book franchise superhero films you know i mean in 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 some way i'm in part of that narrative because you know lord of the rings was a successful fantasy trilogy that really broke yeah that, that broke the mold in terms of like this is a film that can win awards and be commercially a smash and i think from there marvel you know kind of thought well we can try and do something like that um so i think you know, I am in some way partially responsible for that. The, the fear for me is that because the business because the business model says it has to be a trilogy and it has to be a superhero, we are potentially making it harder for independent filmmakers to to make those smaller films that probably don't that, that don't make four hundred million. You know, yeah. but, but do find an owner. things like you know, Son of Rambo. I don't know how something like that gets made now, really unless yeah. someone has enough money to throw it away because it's all it's all franchises and trilogies you know it's a difficult uh, time to try and get those indie films out there and to be successful enough to then launch even more of those titles you're, you're definitely right and you just touched upon lord of the rings and i'll have people listening who have been fans of the podcast for years saying like why the fuck have you not asked him about lord of the rings so i, I do have to try and ask and i know you're going to get it a lot but how do you put into words being part of, for me, apart from Star Wars, the best trilogy on screen, something of epic proportion where it was, I still remember it now, every Christmas going with my mum and dad, who we don't go to the films or the cinemas often, but for Lord of the Rings, it was that big event. And you were in it. It must be impossible to try and get your head around. Yeah, it's difficult to have a real perspective on it because I was in Japan with, with Pete Jackson when we were promoting Lord of the Rings one time, I think for Return of the King, and he said to me uh, that he was considering getting hypnotized so that he could watch Lord of the Rings just as a fan, not as not. <laughs> That's you know, such a good idea. To see, what, to see what he thought of the movie. And we were saying to him, do it, do it, do it. Like we were really encouraging him to do it, but he ended up not doing it. And I think in a way, I might like to have that feeling because when I watch Lord of the Rings, I just see my friends, you know, oh, there's Elijah, there's Sean, that, that's the day that we ran late, that's the day that we got caught in a snowstorm, you know. I love the films. I've not seen any of them for probably 15 years or so. Billy, Billy Boyd and I just 
launched a podcast called The Friendship On You. So we've been talking about Lord of the Rings a lot and someone made a really interesting uh, comment to us um, a couple of weeks ago when, when we were talking about the films where they were saying so many actors out there are associated with films that are all right, you know, they're okay. And they go through their entire life going, yeah, that was me. I was the guy that was in that okay movie that kind of people liked and a lot of people don't know about. And this guy said, it must be incredible to have been part of a trilogy of movies that people either absolutely love or at the very least know that it changed movie history. You know, that's that's just a fact, you know. So it, it is a real pleasure to be associated with something that for the most part is a commercial and, and critical darling. I mean, even some of the people that were involved in The Hobbit that I've spoke to years later, they're like, just it wasn't it wasn't and i was like it wasn't it wasn't lord of the rings it, it wasn't like yeah. lord of the rings is that thick the hobbit is that thick. yeah it just it didn't it didn't have the cast it didn't have the crew it didn't have the innocence it it, it, it was a fine film found, found an audience and did well but nothing's lord of the rings in the same way that nothing's star wars nothing's the godfather yeah. nothing's Andy jones you know it's amazing though to be part of it. I mean, it's it's just it is something that was magical that I don't think we'll get for a very very long time. And you know, one of one of my it's it's amazing for the fact that if you look at your CV and stuff, you know, that's one of the biggest trilogies of all time, biggest blockbusters, won all the Oscars. But TV wise, Lost is still, and I'm not just saying it because I'm sat here now. The TV show that we would go to work on the Monday and we would say to each other. Did you watch it? And it wasn't like, did you watch what? It was just, did you watch it? That was all you had to say to each other. And it was like, oh my God, did you see what happened with Kate? And oh my God, Jack did this. And it was the one show because it wasn't bingeable. It wasn't like yeah. Netflix where you get season one in one go or, you know, it was, you had to wait. And then everyone's got their conspiracy theories. That must have been an unbelievable experience because there's nothing, there is nothing else like Lost anymore. Yeah, like you said, it's the last the last kind of water cooler TV show ever, maybe, because after that, you could then binge stuff, you know. Yeah. So even a fantastic show like Peaky Blinders, you know, you wait for a year, the entire season drops on Netflix, you watch it over a weekend, it's done. But for last, we didn't there was not that model around. So you had to wait a week and all the way through that from that Wednesday in, in the United States it was a Wednesday, from the Wednesday to the other Wednesday. People were, you know, like climbing the walls waiting for the next episode. So it's, you know, you you always want to be involved with something as an actor that that resonates because you you're involved in an art form, you know. And if you if you create or if you're part of creating a piece of art and no one recognizes it or sees it, then you're kind of screaming into a vacuum, really. And and you know, you just you're doing it just to flex your muscle, and that's fine. I mean. You know, very often as an actor, you will do a job that's just for you, and and you know, if it if it finds an audience, that's a, that's a bonus. But a real successful job ticks all those boxes. You know, you flex your own muscle, you find something new, you learn some new skills, but it also finds an audience that that it, the work that you've done seems to resonate. And in a lot of ways, Lost was a show that you know it, it just it just hit, it just had an impact. You know, and and again, you know. All, all pieces of art are flawed. So a lot of people will say, I didn't like the ending or I didn't like this or it went off the rails or all that kind of stuff. And my argument to that is like, okay, so you liked it for 
five years and three quarters, and then in the last, you know, two <laughs> months it fell off. You got five and a half years worth of enjoyment out of it. Just enjoy it, you know. I mean, yeah. it's not, no pieces of art are perfect, you know. It's the same with Game of Thrones. People are like, oh, I love that show, and then it was shit. I'm like, you, so you liked it for a decade, and then in the last, in the last, like episode, you were like, oh, it wasn't what I wanted. It's never going to be what you wanted. It's going to be what the creators want, you know. So it's a bummer without that. There's still moments for me, like I love Breaking Bad and the moment that we discover Walter White in the book, the WW, that took my breath away. But the not Penny's boat on your hand is still that moment where I was like, fuck, like I, I just couldn't breathe. And it's like, I can't remember in the last few years. I, I honestly don't think there's been anything that's had that impact that just floors me, you know? Oh, that's cool. I get asked a lot. I do these Q&As on Instagram and, and I get asked this question a lot. And I, do, I don't tend to answer it because I just think, the answer's academic, you should know it anyway. But people always say to me, why didn't you swim through the, the, the glass that, that, you know, he, he throws the grenade, it explodes, yeah. the, the, the chamber floods. Why don't, you, why don't you swim through the glass and up to the surface? And I say, because it's a choice. He knows. Yeah. He knows he's supposed to die. If he swims through the glass, he changes the fate of Kate and everyone on the island, uh, Claire, and everyone on the yeah. island. So he has to stay. And that's why Desmond's so incensed by him. He's like, no, no, you, you, can, you can do something. You can open the door. You can, we can fix this. And Charlie's like, no, no, I know. This is my moment. My you know, time, so. man. Yeah. And yeah. So people are always like, I don't understand. But you, 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 you fucked up at the end. You should have done this and done that. No, he didn't fuck up. He embraced no. his death. Yeah. You know? he, he come to acceptance. Right, right. So we're obviously promoting at the moment Edge of the World. Tell me about this and how this obviously came about, because obviously it's your most recent film and it's now going to be available for people to watch. So if those people are listening that want to get excited, how did this come about for you? Well, I get, I get sent a bunch of scripts throughout my, throughout my year and I, you know, I'm relatively picky with what, I, with what I take. Yeah. This is a project that, that was keen to bring me on as a producer because they knew that I'd spent quite a bit of time in Borneo. I probably travelled to Borneo four or five times and Southeast Asia probably over 10 times just for work or, or for holidays and stuff. So I knew, you know, the jungle and the animals and how, how that all works and, and how it works for humans in the jungle and actors specifically and what they need and all that kind of stuff. So this project came across my agent's desk who said, we want them to come on as a producer and it shoots in Sarawak, which is a province of Borneo. It's a true story. I love true stories, you know, kind of biopics. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if biopics is a true genre, but it's certainly like a casual subgenre, and, and I've always really liked biopics. The element of like being entertained whilst whilst also being educated is something I've always been, you know, really turned on by. Um, and yeah, it's just <clears throat> it's just my type of thing, you know, like that part of the world, the the food, the people, the vibe, the the animals, the jungle, the weather, the script the immersive nature of being there you know there's no there's no element of like the weekend comes you can go do something else you're still in borneo you're still in the jungle you're still in a tropical environment you know so all of the immersive nature of it's cool um it follows the story of a the true story of a, of a man called james brooke who left england to try and find a, a more suitable life for himself and ends up in uh borneo uh in sarawak and becomes a king of Sarawak, basically, a, a Raja, and all of the complications that that happen with that. Um, the film, The Man Who Would Be King, is casually based on him, and also Elements of Hearts of Darkness by Joseph Conrad is, is pretty much written about James Brooke. Um, and I play his 
kind of second in command, his advisor, counsel, protector, security guy, um, who finds himself literally stuck between two worlds. You know, he's a military guy and he supports, you know, the, the crown and the king. But then he's also trying to make sure that his best friend stays safe uh, while he's being romanced by the beautiful people of, of Sarawak. So, like you said, you're such a fan of the place. Was it just a great chance to go there? And it's, I've always wanted to go there. I've dreamed of it. And is it is is it like a second home to you now? Yeah, Borneo's the Borneo's the largest island in Asia. It's a, yeah. it's a truly huge place, and it has some of the most unspoiled uh, unspoiled jungle in the world. I've been working with a uh, orangutan sanctuary called SOS in Sarawak, which is another province of Borneo, for about fifteen years now. So. I was able to go see those people. I was able to go see wild orangutan in the jungle. And I'm just like, I'm obsessed with animals. I mean, outside of probably acting first and foremost, you know, animals and the Beatles is, is kind of my jam really. And um, so, so being, in, being in places where, you know, there's the opportunity to see different tropical insects and reptiles and amphibians is, is just a huge bonus to my life. It's, it's, um, it's very immersive. The food is extraordinary. I mean, it, I like spicy food and I, and I like kind of curries and soups and stuff. You're getting that for breakfast over there. People are generally Buddhist. So there's a great feeling of, of uh, contentedness and, and calm and, and um, you know, being, being uh, caring and compassionate to everything that's around and not just humans, but, you know, trees and plants and animals, which is something I subscribe to too. It was... Uh, it was just one of those experiences that, you, that for me at least, you can't, you can't turn down. I can't help but notice you've got a couple of guitars in the background. So I know you're a big fan of music, but do you, I didn't realise you play guitar. Yeah, I play guitar. I mean, I, I don't play it, uh, you know, super well. I, that little case there is a, is a travel case for my little uh, kind of travel Gibson that I have. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing to do with your time, especially if you're in a country that, you know, maybe you can't rely on the movies and TV channels on your TV because it might all be in a different language. I love playing the guitar. My brother's a much better guitar player than me. And Billy Boyd, who uh, I do this podcast with now, is a better guitar player than me. But, you know, I like to sit around and bosk and pretend to be Johnny Cash as well. And, and how are you finding the podcast world? Obviously, I saw the articles going out and everyone talking about it. I've not had a chance to listen, but uh, are you enjoying being behind the mic and getting involved? Is it, is it a new world for you? You're kind of like, this is awesome. Or you're kind of like, this is quite intimidating. No, I'm finding that intimidating. It's because um, it's just Billy and I chatting. We made it very yeah. clear to this podcast company. You know, we just said they, they, were, they were very keen to push the Lord of the Rings thing. We just said, look. We met on Lord of the Rings. We know each other from Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a massive element of our lives. Of course, we'll be talking Lord of the Rings. But it's not, it's not just two guys sat around for an hour and a half or an hour talking about Lord of the Rings. It's two guys just chatting, you know. So yeah. we, just, we just chat. Last week, we talked about uh, explosive diarrhea. And <laughs> we did. And uh, traffic in L.A., and playing computer games, and what to do if you get sunburned. And, you know, like you can, you, 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 our producers are like, okay, you need to talk about Lord of the Rings. And we're like, no, 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 shush, shush, shush. We'll get there. We'll get there. So it's a, it's a push me, pull you thing at the moment with what we think the show is and what they think the show is. But it's finding an audience. It's the number one TV and podcast in the world has been for the last two weeks. So it's definitely finding an audience. And um, 
I just get to hang out with one of my closest friends on the planet and chat and have fun, you know, play jokes, make each other laugh. It sounds awesome. And uh, I like the fact you've got like literally something for everyone there. If you want diarrhea stories or you want films or music or sport, there's a bit of everything. Yeah, it's true. It's true. This is going to be one of the hardest questions I think you're going to get. But uh, on this podcast, to make it completely original as much as I can, I always let the guest on the podcast choose the outro piece of music. So it can be any band, any song, any piece of film score, any Beatles song, anything you love. But it can only be one song and I don't give you time to think about it. Come back to me. It's got to be in the moment. Okay. When I ask you the question, there's probably 10 or you might wake up at four in the morning and think, fuck, I didn't pick this. But what's the song that straight away you think is like, yep, Dom's done his interview. Mark's done his outro. What song starts playing? Let's do Love It If We Made It by the 1975. Nice. Yeah. What was it that made that come to you? I was expecting you to pick a Beatles song. I don't know why I just thought he's going to go there. I love the Beatles and I'm doing a Beatles podcast tomorrow and I feel like I've been talking about the Beatles for my entire life and, and I just don't want to be passe about the Beatles and constantly go on about them. Of course, I could have listed 100 yeah. Beatles songs off the top of my head that I love. Love it, by, love it If We Made It by the 1975 was, was kind of, it seems, the band's kind of summation of where they think they're at and where the planet is at at this point. So it deals with, you know, uh, drowning refugee kids on beaches. It deals with an American president out of control. It deals with poor behavior by Kanye West. It deals with drugs. It deals with uh, uh, an economic crisis. The lead singer basically screams the entire song and it's an amazing performance because you can't replicate it. It's just a bit of an anthem. I like anthems. I like things that force you to get up. It's also an amazing driving song because it just smashes you over the head, you know? And um, for me, my, my whole thing with art is like, I, 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 I almost have like a physical reaction to mediocrity. You know what I mean? Like I, if there's, there's, there's elements of the punk era that I kind of hate, but I listen to it because I hate it so much, you know? And there's obviously punk music that I love. But if something makes me hate it or love it from an artistic point of view, then it's moved me. And I, I love the fact that it's moved me. But anything mediocre, I just, I just can't stand, you know, it just like goes right through me. And the, the, obviously it's, a, it's personal preference music. But the thing that I like about the 1975 and the thing that I like about that song in particular is you can't help but be, but be moved by it. It's just, it's unapologetically passionate about the subject that it's dealing with. You couldn't ask for that. I'm sure the band will be sitting there now going, that, I couldn't put it much better. Why Why <laughs> would music right now? They'll be absolutely gushing over that. Well, you never know. Like You never know with bands, do you? Because the lead, let, let's say for the sake of argument, the lead singer is listening to this. The lead singer might pass it off and say, oh, I wrote that in three minutes. It means nothing to me, you know? So you, yeah. you know, the amount of times that you listen to Lennon, you either read something that Lennon talks about, a song that he talks about, or maybe hear him on a, on a rare radio interview. He dismisses almost all of his music. Oh, that's rubbish. I don't care about that song. I don't care about that song. So, you know, you, you just don't know, you know. One of my favourite all time, and there's not much footage of him being interviewed, but Jeff Buckley, for me, is like the god. You know, Grace album is just, for me, flawless. And when he talks about writing Grace and Love You Should Come Over and Last Goodbye and stuff, he's literally like, yeah, I just sat with a pen. I was at a cafe, I had a glass of wine. I just penned something down. It just came along and I'm thinking... That's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how you start and you've just gone, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, that's a superb album for sure. I think in, in the argument for 
some of the one of the greatest cover songs of all time. I prefer Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And Leonard Cohen's like a god for me. Like yeah. he's one of my best favorite artists. But let uh Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah is is just an absolute stone cold masterpiece from from beginning to end. And it's so it's so sad that he died because I'm sure he would have he would have written some extraordinary music throughout his life, you know. Yeah, it's a dream to know what you would be doing now. But um I think our time is up. I genuinely would love to speak to you for longer. It's one of those ones where I've spoke to people and it's, it's kind of, you know, just starting. You think, God, right, now it's warming up and then you've got this limit. But I know you've got more to do. But um, I really appreciate you coming on. And I hope in the near future we can sit down and delve a bit deeper and talk more about music and films and just general chat because it's, it's been a pleasure today. Hey, it's been a pleasure talking to you too, Mark. It's not often that you get a chance to actually speak about things that you care about. Most people come on and say, okay, talk to me about the film, give us those rote answers and then we'll move on. But the fact that you allowed me to just chat about things that artistically move me, I really appreciate it. And especially on the stuff you talked about, the charity work and the chimpanzees and stuff is fascinating. I'm a massive, massive animal rights person. So I'd, I, if, let's try and sort something out one day if we can. That would be great, Mark, I'd love that. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Dominic. And as I said on the interview, I really mean it. Lost For Me was one of the most iconic TV shows of my generation. I fell in love with it and every single week all my friends, all the people I know would be talking about it, coming up with different conspiracies and it was so good to hear from him talk more about Charlie and that. And honestly, let's be honest, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is one of the biggest of all time. To hear him talking about the experience of working with Peter Jackson on such a large, huge scale is amazing. And as you heard, we talk all about his brand new film, Edge of the World. It's out on Monday and I urge you all to go and check it out. It's absolutely brilliant. I want to say a massive thank you for Dominic for coming on the show. It's an honour to have you on and you've been a dream guest. Thanks so much. I hope everyone out there that's listening today has enjoyed the interview just as much as me. And as I always say, I really appreciate you jumping on your social media channels and spreading the word. The way you can do this is to share it on your Facebook, your Instagram and on your Twitter. All the links are on markandme.com and it makes a huge difference. I see more and more listeners every single episode taking the time to share it. It costs nothing, it's the touch of a button and brings a whole new audience to Mark and Me and makes a huge difference. I do also have a Patreon page and I need more and more people to get behind me on that because it allows me to get the podcast out there on Amazon, Spotify, Podomatic and all the different channels. But not only that, I reward people with some amazing prizes. This week alone, I'm given a piece of artwork away that's completely sold out on Vice Press. And honestly, if you see it, you'll want it. It's the latest piece by a previous guest on the show, Flory, and it's for The Thing, the John Carpenter classic, and it's the variant which money can't buy. This is exclusive and only available to people on my Patreon, and it's a way that I can say thanks for supporting the podcast. Again, thanks for everyone that's tuned in today. It's going to be a very busy few weeks ahead, and I'll be back in only a few days with a brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all soon.